Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, BTSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is the day before a Friday the 13th in the month of October here in East Tennessee. Beautiful fall day here. And today we're talking about some BRAF V600E updates. Um, BRAF is uh, one of these... Um, uh, Checkpoints, checkpoints is the wrong word. It's one of these bubbles. If you look at the image, it's a bubble in the signal transduction pathway and our MAP kinase pathway. So you've got RAS, which when phosphorylated, then will uh, have the signal go down to RAF, which then goes to MEC and goes to ERK and then causes gene expression nucleus. That's collectively the MAP kinase pathway. Lots and lots of drugs target the MAP kinase pathway. And we know uh, originally from, uh, from metastatic melanoma that BRAF, so an isoform of RAF, BRAF, uh, the V600E mutation is pathogenic in about half of metastatic melanomas. And it's maybe 2 to 4% pathogenic in advanced non-small cell lung cancer, which is what we're talking about today. Because yesterday FDA approved the combination of Incarafamib, Braftovi, brand name, got BRAF right there in the brand name and RAF in the generic name, Incarafinib, and Benimetinib, brand name Mectovi, um, which as you could guess is a MEC inhibitor, was approved for BRAF V600E mutated non-small cell lung cancer, along with companion diagnostic approvals for Foundation 1 plasma and tissue uh, diagnostics. So we're going to talk about this approval and in general, kind of in the larger context, talk about BRAF V600E mutated non-small cell lung cancer. So this approval of Encrafenib and Benimetinib is the second uh, BRAF MEC combination approved for non-small cell lung cancer. This approval is based off the FARO study, which was a, a phase two study, single arm, 98 patients, uh, the, um, looking at a, a mostly patients who were treatment naive, 59 treatment naive patients and 39 uh, previously treated patients uh, for a total number of 98. The, the um, the response rate in those who were treatment naive was 75%, quite impressive. The response rate in those who had prior treatment was 46%, which is nothing uh, to sneeze at. Previously, we have similar data for the combination of debrafenib, a BRAF inhibitor, and trametinib, a MEK inhibitor. Uh, in treatment naive, in 36 patients, uh, in the approval uh, data set that got that combination approved for non-small cell lung cancer, um, 61% uh, you know, overall response rate uh, with debrafenib trametinib. Compare that to 75% we see with encrafenib benimetinib. Um, interestingly, 61% same response rate was seen in those who were treatment uh, who had previously been treated. So you know, broadly, you can say that the response rate here is 50 to 75%. Okay, uh, I, I think it's fair to say it's probably uh, silly to make any definitive treatment comparisons. Obviously, one these are data sets of less than 100 patients and potentially different types of patients in these studies. You don't want to make cross-trial comparisons too much. Now, the debrafenib trametinib is, is the preferred treatment in the guidelines because it's been out longer. Uh, those drugs were the earliest or the earlier BRAF and MEK inhibitor compared to incarafenib and benimetinib. So debrafenib trametinib people have used um, for some time now for, for not just BRAF V600 mutated metastatic melanoma, but also non-small cell lung cancer. So we have, you know, long-term follow-up from this approval. And so we have five-year overall survival rates of 22% with debrafenib if they were treatment-naive uh, versus 19% if they weren't. So let's call that 20%. So one in five are alive five years later. That is probably 
a testament to two things. One, the effectiveness of these drugs in this disease state, and two, to the better prognosis and a slower disease process in these patients compared to to uh, non-targetable metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, uh, similar to EGFR mutated um, non-small cell lung cancer, BRAF V600E mutated non-small cell lung cancer, more likely in adenocarcinoma, key, more likely in never smokers, uh, so probably a little bit simpler disease, healthier patients overall in general, uh, because they don't have that smoking history that so many of our other metastatic non-small cell lung cancer patients have. So, um, you know, incarafenib benimetinib is approved, um, some some quick comparisons here are a little bit. Uh, Encrafenib, the dose is 450 milligrams daily. That's six 75 milligram tap capsules that need to be taken. That's the same dose of Encrafenib approved for uh, metastatic melanoma. There's a 300 milligram dose that's approved for colorectal cancer. Benimetinib is 45 milligrams twice daily. Um, both of these uh, drugs, Encrafenib and Benimetinib, can be taken without regards to food, with or without food, uh, and there are no special storage requirements. This is unlike Trametinib, which does need to be stored in the refrigerator, uh, and both uh, Dibrafenib and Trametinib need to be taken on an empty stomach. So similar idea with to where you have um, you know, a BID drug and a daily drug. Um, so you've got similar things uh, with both of these things, Benimetinib, Encrafenib doesn't have any requirements to be taken on an empty stomach. Maybe that's attractive to patients. Um, and benimetinib, unlike trametinib, does not require storage in food. So that's that's one potential you know differentiating point there in deciding which of these to use because you can't decide which one to use in this patient population based on efficacy because uh, we don't have anything to, to guide that. We can also look at toxicity data here, and we have quite a bit of toxicity data um, because these drugs have been used uh, in other disease states. I'm looking, uh, uh, or I'm going to give you uh, the the safety data specifically in the non-small cell lung cancer cohort of patients, um, and I'm only going to give you the ones that kind of differentiate the differences here. So pyrexia fever uh, occurred in 55% with dibrafenib trametinib, 5% of that being grade three or worse, compared to just 22% with incarafenib benimetinib, 0%. So more fevers with dibrafenib trametinib. Um, uh, combination. Conversely, more diarrhea was seen with incrafenib benimetinib. 52% overall had diarrhea, 7% grade 3. Dibrafenib trametinib, 32% diarrhea, 2.2% grade 3. So more fever with dibrafenib trametinib, more diarrhea with incrafenib benimetinib. You saw more hyperglycemia with dibrafenib and trametinib. 71% overall, 9% grade 3 hyperglycemia with dibraf trametinib. 48% and then 6% grade 3 hyperglycemia with incraft and benimetinib. Um, there, uh, if you just look at it this way, if you just look at, you know, without looking at the further context, it looks like dibrafenib and trametinib, there are more, um, there's more leukopenia, for example, 48% versus 12%. Now, in the, the data set, dibrafenib and trametinib, there were, you know, probably more patients. Uh, there were more patients who were previously treated. So that may be some residual effect of chemotherapy there uh, with, the beat, uh, with the beat up bone marrow. But in general, you're going to have more of these constitutional symptoms like fever with dibrafenib, trametinib, more diarrhea with incarafenib, benimetinib. That may be some, somewhat useful to folks. I think that um, some of the other uh, differences as well, like drug-drug interactions, might also uh, be a, a, a key determining factor in which combination to use. So incarafenib is an inhibitor of, of breast cancer-resistant protein and OTP1B1, which might have... Uh, harder to see if that has drug side effects or drug interactions. Encrep um, does cause QT prolongation, so that can be problematic uh, with with drug drug interactions, not with oral ondansetron. Um, 
uh, I think one of the most uh, worrisome and sneaky drug interactions we have in oncology is dabrafenib. It's a, it's a weak 2C9 inhibitor, but it is a moderate 3A4 inhibitor. Um, and so we really don't know what's going to happen if you're taking dabrafenib and you put somebody on, say, say rivaroxaban uh, or, or even more uh, pixaban, which has a, a greater uh, percentage of, of hepatic metabolism, VA3A4, than, um, than, than rivaroxaban even, uh, and decrease in the levels of that anticoagulant, as well as other 3A4 substrates. Um, so dabrafenib has some of these side effects that could, could decrease the toxicity uh, or decrease the exposure uh, of these other drugs and actually decrease the toxicity, sure, but maybe decrease the efficacy of something like, like a Pixban or Rivaroxban, and that worries me, uh, for uh, because it, it may not flag uh, appropriately with with drug drug interaction databases. Ask your pharmacist to look into it, uh, to look into it further. Uh, there are um, you know potentially some concerns with dabrafenib and G6PD deficiency, um, and I should mention you know both these combinations have this risk um, of of increase an increase in cancer risk which is probably one of the hardest things to counsel patients about because they have cancer. And it's really a, a, an upregulation of the MAP kinase in the health of the MAP kinase pathway in the healthy tumors. So these drugs are inhibiting BRAF and MEK. It's not just inhibiting the BRAF V600E, it's going to also inhibit some normal BRAF, which is constitutive in lots and lots of our cells, and so is MEK. And this is the only combination we really have in small molecule, small molecule target therapy oncology where we are inhibiting two points in the same pathway in both malignant tissue and normal tissue. I just very briefly mentioned the differences in the toxicities, but there's still cardiomyopathy and eye toxicity that's serious but rare and lots and lots of other toxicities with these drugs because you're inhibiting two normal intracellular processing um, uh, uh, drive-through uh, pathways here. So lots and lots of toxicities here with this, uh, including an increased risk. Uh, we know in the very first BRAF inhibitor that there was maybe a one in 5% chance these patients had a new non-melanoma skin cancer and giving the MEK inhibitor uh, not only provided better anti-cancer effect on top of the BRAF inhibitor, but also helps uh, prevent the development of these new secondary skin cancers by blocking MEK in the healthy cells as well. Um, but you, uh, paradoxically, we, people have seen some increase in RAS activity. Uh, and so there is, uh, in the dabrafenib and, and trametinib data, there's a, a question about maybe um, some HLH happening, um, which those drugs have been around longer. So maybe there's some more, uh, you know, more chance to report some of these rare, you know, maybe secondary cancers with dabrafenib, trametinib. Something that probably is not gonna factor into my decision-making. Mostly gonna go on, on uh, toxicity and whether or not people feel they need to take these drugs uh, with food, if they do, then Encraft and Benimetinib make, make some sense. Um, it's unclear. I thought I knew the answer to this. I thought I knew that these drugs, that, or that, not these drugs, that BRAF V600E mutated non-small cell lung cancer didn't respond to, uh, to immune checkpoint inhibitors. Um, now, we know that if you have BRAF V600 mutated uh, metastatic melanoma, it's actually preferable to give your immune checkpoint inhibitor first, uh, as long as you don't have a, a huge burden of disease followed by then um, the, the dual TKI. Now we know EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer does not respond very well to immune checkpoint inhibitors. When you look into the data, one, we don't have prospective studies of chemoimmunotherapy or immune checkpoint inhibitors with BRAF V600 mutated non-small cell lung cancer. BRAF V600 mutated non-small cell lung cancer does pretty well compared to, uh, to, um, to other 
um, variants of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. So we really don't have a good firm grasp on the role of immune checkpoint inhibitors after, say, you, you progress on your BRAF um, and your MEK inhibitor in this. So that's, uh, you know, hopefully more data will come about that. Because these patients do fairly well, there is a, you know, a, a need for better second-line treatments for, for, these, uh, for these men and women. Okay, so that's kind of a brief summary uh, and update of BRAF V600E mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Now, one question that comes up quite a bit in listservs is um, what to do for patients that, that need these oral tyrosine kinase inhibitors, but they cannot swallow for whatever reason, disease progression, things like that. Um, so I have a, a brief update from March that I, I kind of I was going to talk about, but then other stuff came up, and that is that there is a debrafenib trametinib approval in, uh, in a grade 2 pediatric gliomas, and it beat... Uh, cisplatin-based chemo, if I remember correctly, is published actually not too long ago in the New England Journal of Medicine. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about the pediatric glioma part of it. Always wonderful to see drugs approved for pediatric uh, cancer patients, uh, a really big unmet need. The reason I'm highlighting that now, because it kind of makes sense with our BRAF inhibitors, is these are for kids, which means they have dosage forms that are uh, that are available and designed for those who cannot swallow solid dosage form. So there is a debrafenib tablet for oral suspension. Now, uh, which makes sense because you, you have, uh, instead of just one dose for everyone that's an adult, you have different doses for a one-year-old as a three-year-old and a four-year-old and a seven-year-old based on their body weight. So for an adult, 150 milligram BID dose of debrafenib, you would need 10 of these tablets for oral suspension and then it will dissolve in 10 mils of water, and then you can drink it, maybe go down the NG tube uh, with, a, with maybe some flush. That's pretty doable to get 15 tablets, put it in 10 mil of water, which is a pretty small volume. Uh, it takes a couple minutes to dissolve and, and you'll have this. It's for kids, so it should be nice tasting that then patients could drink if they have trouble swallowing oral dosage forms. All right, so that, that debrafenib seems pretty doable. Um, now, it'd probably take a little bit of, uh, of um, finagling and um, and some gymnastics to get a you know a dosage form for pediatrics approved for an adult but I think it, as long as it's justifiable uh, and medically necessary you should be able to do that now the trametinib is a little bit different it is an oral solution that you actually reconstitute um, and it comes in a bottle that contains 4.7 milligrams of trametinib and the dose of trametinib in adults is 2 milligrams which means for a month supply you are going to need like 13 bottles of this stuff that does need to be stored in a fridge. It is reconstituted with like 40 mil of volume per two milligram dose. So that's a lot of volume. That's more than two tablespoons. That's probably like a, a quarter cup that you have to drink. So that is a pretty large volume for the uh, for this uh, solution of Tremendib. Uh, and then it needs to be stored in the fridge. As long as it's used within a month, I think it's something like 35 days after reconstitution, it's still okay. So we do have some of these dosage forms now if people cannot swallow and they need that because of the study in pediatrics and the pediatric-specific dosage form um, that potentially is going to be an option for adults if they can't swallow you know, solid dosage forms like tablets and capsules. Okay, so that's what I have this week about uh, BRAF and MEK inhibitors. Uh, thank you all so much for um, uh, those of you who have reached out, said nice things about enjoying the podcast. Appreciate it. Helps keep me going. Uh, love to hear that. Um, you can follow me on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at Farm Detanib. You can follow the uh, podcast on both uh, 
on X, uh, Instagram, and Threads. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.